Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a hundred mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? Episode 53 of the MR Running Pains Podcast. As always, this is Aaron Saft. Um, today, I've got a guest um, who maybe you've heard of before. Um, he, he's done enough to uh, to have some name recognition, and, and it's really cool because he comes up with a lot of his own adventures and FKTs. Um, pretty special um, gentleman. His name is Jason Hardrith, and um, he's going for uh, 100 FKTs. Now, as he explains... Uh, some have you know been broken, but um, to uh, to have completed um, in, and attained 100 FKTs, um, you know some being unique, some being um, classic or uh, or pre-established, if you will. Um, but we have a great co- uh, conversation. I really enjoyed um, learning from from Jason, and uh, you know we're, we talk about how to create a safe adventure. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an FKT. It can just be something that you come up with on your own. But, you know, in coming up with that, how do you do it safely uh, so that you come out of it in the other side uh, unscathed or as, as healthy as possible and, um, and uh, you know, refreshed and 
those that love you don't have to worry too much. So uh, I appreciate Jason's uh, knowledge and, and sharing that with us. Uh, it was a, it was a fun conversation, uh, and I you know I certainly took a lot away from it. I hope you do. <laughs> So, Jason Hardrith is with me today. Jason, how are you? I really can't complain. It's been a pretty good week. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and just so people know, Jason, where are you joining us from? I'm joining from Klamath Falls, Oregon. It's down in southern Oregon near um, Mount Shasta, which is just across the border in northern California and south of Bend. That's another big sort of landmark city here in Oregon, uh, about two hours south of Bend. Did you grow up in the uh, Pacific Northwest? I did. I was actually uh, born and raised in Baker City, Oregon, which is up in northeastern Oregon near Hell's Canyon um, and the Wallowa Mountains. So, yeah, love this area. love this side of the country. Definitely a, a big old playground out here. <laughs> which we will definitely get into and talk about. Um, what got you into running? Oh, man, it's a journey that goes way back for me. I mean, I grew up in a family that definitely was outdoors oriented, but it was like small egg town, agriculture town. So uh, more like motor sports and hunting type stuff. And but it at least got me in the outdoors and then uh, discovered running because I was a kid that couldn't function in school without physical activity, uh, diagnosed ADHD. Um, and so I had to have physical movement. My parents pushed me into sports as, a, as an outlet for that. Um, and, you know, kind of became a skater for a while and then broke my wrist. So the parents are like, ah, no more skating. Uh, but that kind of built the fitness and a bit, I would say of my tenacity. Cause with skating, you have to like put up with falling down over and over again and it hurting, but you get up and you try again. So I think I built some resilience and some tenacity there and built the base fitness to be able to transition into running as a middle schooler and be, be good enough at it. Um, to sort of be like, oh, well, maybe I'll be the person in my school to break a six minute mile for, for this year because no one else was doing it. And I was kind of close. So that became a really big deal, breaking the six minute mile. And I succeeded at that. And that kind of solidified like running goals and, and really a goal setting mindset into my mind at a young age. And so then it became this personal process of what's the next goal I can reach for. I wanted to you know, make it onto the varsity team in high school and then make it to, you know, the districts and the state championship meets. And then the goal was to make it onto a college team. Even if I just barely got onto some tiny college team, it's like, oh, I want to try to run in college. Um, and then, you know, after college, it was like, okay, let's try my hand at marathons. And then kind of feeling like I'd pushed my running to the top, uh, you know, as, as fast as it was going to go you know, there was still room for marginal gains here and there. Um, I was like, oh, let's experiment with triathlon because it's like, I'm, I'm, I might be pretty good at this biking thing and I've never swam before. So jumped into Ironman triathlons, right? Because of course, what you do is go for the very longest triathlon out there when you're trying to learn new skills. Um, jump in with both feet. So just kind of took this journey of like looking for the next big challenge. Um, and that led to me doing adventure running in the outdoors and chasing uh, what are known as fastest known times that everybody has sort of become aware of over the course of 2020. Um, but really enjoying sort of mixing this. Uh, I'm a professional mountain guide now as well as a school teacher. Um, so like mixing this 
you know, fitness skill set with this outdoor skill set to do these big pushes through the outdoors to see beautiful country. And that sort of circles back to that childhood of growing up, appreciating and thinking it's normal for human beings to like go out into these far out outdoor spaces. And this was kind of like a way to marry the two. Um, and I found it, found it really enjoyable and really engaging over the course of 2019 and 2020 especially with everything, you know, racing all being shut down. It was like, oh, well, I already enjoy this, so I guess I'll do it more. <laughs> so that was uh, just two years ago, 2019, that you you started this endeavor of, of going after uh, FKTs and adventure running. Basically, yeah, the tail end of 2018 is when I discovered Fastest Known Times. And I was already doing doing things, you know, you know, running between peaks and running around Crater Lake, tagging high points and you know, things of that nature where, so it just felt really natural to go, oh, I'll chase, you know, fastest known times because it gives me that added incentive to sort of feel like I'm, I'm racing while I'm out there, you know, that, that desire to sort of optimize and maximize performance and really master an area and master your skill sets. Um, and I, I liked, I liked that sort of sense of urgency it created. What was your first inspiration to to do some type of adventure run? And do you remember what it was? Well, I mean, uh, a big a big sort of pivot of my life was a car accident that I had in 2015 where I was ejected from the vehicle. It it was kind of a hard reset for my life. I'd you know gotten all the way in triathlon as far as qualifying for Ironman 70.3 World Championships in 2014 and 2015. Um, and then suddenly couldn't go get my own drink of water. And it was sort of a, a restart from ground zero. And it took it took a really long time for running to come back. But I knew I needed something to pursue. Because um, I'd, I'd come to understand that about myself. Like this, this process of pursuing personal goals, growth goals, especially physical movement and outdoors oriented goals was absolutely essential if I was going to maintain mental health. So... I started setting goals with climbing local hills and local mountains. And, you know, then that led to gathering this whole rock climbing skill set and, and mountaineering skill set. Um, so that kind of set the the tone that way. And then as the running came back, it very naturally turned into this progression of longer runs between these mountain peaks on like the PCT or these other major trail systems. And it just kind of evolved. One thing led to another as they like to say. <laughs> was Strava involved in this at all? <laughs> I mean, definitely a bit of Strava. Uh, you know, it's always fun to chase Strava segments. Um, so that was a part of it. And then just sort of seeing what's out there, like, huh, I wonder if anybody's ever climbed these three, you know, like three random peaks in the Pacific Northwest that are like scrambly rock climbs and then run this like major trail system between them. It's like, I wonder if anybody's actually ever done that. Um, you know, because it's sort of it's sort of like a unique way of blending and feeling like you're doing something novel and something new as opposed to the same old thing. Um, that that sort of sense of that spirit of exploration, right? And that's one of the things I love about these adventure runs and fastest known times is you can, with the really big efforts and the really big projects where you do the the research and you like find systems to connect things. It it sort of harkens back to that spirit that I think drove us during the age of exploration to go to the poles and to go to the, the peaks and make first ascents of things. And so now, now that most things have first ascents, the question 
for, for most of us isn't, oh, can I be the first to climb it? It's, can I climb it faster than anyone? Or can I, can I connect it in a way no one ever has before? Or can, can this connection that's been done before over the course of a week be finished in a day? Um, so we're asking different questions, but I think it's the same spirit that drives us. And then was there a, a resource that you went to to find out these things? Um, Strava was, is like a great mapping tool on the other side of it's like social media and fitness tracking aspects. You can also use it to map routes. So that was useful. You can also look at heat maps and see where people have gone before. Um, summit post, um, mountain project for rock climbing are places to go to find different outdoor routes and mountain routes. Um, you know, you can look at things like if you're in the Pacific Northwest, Northwest Hiker. Um, so there's these different websites, these forums where people post trip reports about things they've done or things they want to do. Um, so those are great resources. The Fastest Known Time website is actually a fabulous way to find a lot of well-refined um, routes to go test yourself on because, you know, lots of people have, you know, the routes have been sort of hand-selected as opposed to like Strava segments where it might just be as good as somebody's mailbox to the local coffee shop, you know, fastest known times. It's like, okay, there has to be something distinct and where others would want to repeat it. It needs to be a good trail system, or it needs to be a series of, of aesthetic peaks. Um, so that's a great resource to go to and start poking around and figuring out what routes you want to do. And then you can use mapping software such as like uh, CalTopo is a great resource or All Trails is another great resource. Um, I'll make sure I send you those to, to have links um, down below for people that maybe have never used them. Um, so like, yeah, you can start fiddling around in the safety of your own home with how to use these mapping softwares and how they work on your phone because um, they a lot of them have apps. And sort of start figuring out like, okay, how could I build an adventure route? And what's an adventure route worth doing in my area? Um, and that's kind of the, the root of it is asking that question, like finding that question that inspires you, like, can I do? And then you fill in the blank. Um, and that's an adventure run, right? You're just using that running fitness to go answer a question for yourself. Um, <laughs> I... Uh... I enjoy following people like Corey Reese as well, that <laughs> he may choose all of the, uh, the mini marts <laughs> in the town he lives in and try to <laughs> hit them all in one night, just as his adventure. You know, I think that's a, it's a, it's a joy to see the humor that he can find in, in adventure running too. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, we have the only limitation, I guess, is whatever we put on ourselves. Um, so in that regard, um, <laughs> what's a, <laughs> What's the most uh, bizarre one you've come up with? Oh, I mean, well, I mean, I want to say what I love is seeing people find the creativity in their own area. I've seen stuff of people connecting subways, like trying to beat the subway between certain points. Um, there's stories of people connecting airports. There's stories of people um, connecting bridges, right? So you kind of find these things in your area and you go, okay, how can this be done? Um, and for me, what's in my area is I happen to have the privilege of being around a lot of epic volcanoes and epic uh, mountain peaks. And, you know, it's not too far of a drive to go play in Death Valley or in the Eastern Sierra of California. Um, so I've mixed a lot of like rock climbing things. Um, uh, I think it's been really fun as well to go discover sort of 
canyoneering through slot canyons, not highly technical ones where, you know, you're super likely to die, <laughs> but like kind of the more semi-technical, mildly technical ones where, yeah, you might use a rope or a lot of people would use a rope for, for some of the sections, but you're able to kind of take it like a, an obstacle course race, if you will, and employ like some rock climbing moves and some chimney climbing moves. Um, along with your running and just kind of have this cool experience out in nature. Um, and I love that about running plus, plus rock climbing as well. When you're, you're going to climb a, an Alpine route up to a high point. Um, there's just something about it when you mix running. Cause a lot of us, we love running because of its therapeutic nature where it quiets our mind. Um, to me, when I pair that up where I have the run up to, a rock climbing route and then i'm pulling on to these climbing moves uh of a route where i've rehearsed it so i know i know i can climb it i know where the holds are but like there's no rope there's no protection so it's like suddenly your mind just tunes in and and it's at, for me i mentioned my adhd earlier like normally i have a loud cluttered mind going all over the place i pull onto those moves and it's like all i feel is the grain of the rock and the tension in my muscles and the breeze uh, it's just this beautiful quiet and I'm able to appreciate the beauty around me as I, as I sequence up a rock climb to, to hit the summit of a, of a peak. Um, to me, that's, that's what I'm in love with. And those are the, the wild things that I love doing, but I think that creativity is available in so many different ways, depending on what's around you. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. That's beautiful. Um, you know, when you do these routes, um, I know that, um, you know, running FKTs have to be a certain percentage of running. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, basically 50%. Um, but the FKT website considers rock climbing that's easier than five, seven, um, to be scrambling, which means it doesn't count against your 50%. Um, but if you're going to have uh, rock climbing that's more difficult than that or any other sport mixed in, um, then it's 50% has to be on foot, hiking, scrambling, moving time. And then if you're going to involve really technical terrain, so harder rock climbing or super technical, say crevassed glacier travel that you need a rope. And that's one of the things they mentioned. If you're going to have to rope up, it can't be more than 10% of the total moving time. So they kind of set some limits so that people, you know, aren't out there doing things like, you know, the speed record on the nose as an FKT because they want, um, even though that's iconic, that's kind of its own separate thing. Um, and that record is kept in the rock climbing world and they kind of want fastest known time to be a little bit more in the running world. Although I do think an evolution is going to happen here soon where it's going to grow enough and the, the contributions from enough communities are going to become a part of it that we're going to see more, say, mountain biking records hosted under that name of Fastest Known Times and rock climbing records under that name of Fastest Known Time. Because um, it's like, it's just such a good name to, to like host a variety of things instead of, well, we only do running focused efforts. Do those other disciplines have somewhere where that's recorded, like the Fastest Known Times? I, I don't, I mean, I haven't done deep, deep research into places that host various records. Um, but I know there's like a few splintered places that keep track of some 
multi-sport outdoor records. There's places that keep track of some splintered places that keep track of like skiing records. Um, and then obviously there's some places you can find like rock climbing records for iconic places such as the Yosemite Valley and things like that. Um, but it actually would, to me, in my opinion, it would be cool to see that all sort of unified any, any outdoor sport record sort of unified under, under one roof right. of fastest known time. I think that would be a, a pretty sweet thing. And, and how many um, fastest known times do you hold? I currently, well, I should say historically I have held uh, 94 different 94. records um, out of those 94, I'm pretty certain I still hold currently have the fastest known time for about 54 or 55 of them. So okay. over half um, of the records I've, I've ever said I still hold, which I think is pretty decent considering I've been going at these things like every weekend or every other weekend. Um, yeah. And you're shooting for a hundred, right? That's, that's the, the, goal. the goal. The goal. Yeah. I've been referring to it as my journey to, to 100. Um, I'm, I'm shooting for a hundred different fastest known times. And you have a, um, kind of a, a blog, right. That kind of talks about these, uh, adventures. I have, I have a blog and actually, you know, now would be a good time to jump on cause I'm starting to get more. It's like the blog is kind of new. I've kept track of stuff on just social media, my Facebook and my Instagram. And now I'm starting to convert more of those stories into the long, longer form blog posts. Um, and I'm adding those to my website, which is just jasonhardrath.com. So those will start to come out. You'll be able to read some of my thoughts and experiences as I've done these rock climbing and canyon routes and mountain routes. Um, definitely excited to kind of tell tell some of the story and try to take people through what it's like to make those decisions and be out there facing all the stuff we're used to when running, you know, fatigue and muscle cramps. And, you know, for those of us that do ultras, you know, sleep deprivation and like facing all that while, you know, doing your orienteering and making decisions on snow conditions and, and ice conditions and, uh, you know, employing, you know, self-arrest techniques or, or, you know, steep snow climbing techniques or rock climbing techniques, rappelling techniques while you're experiencing, you know, like what, what, it, what's it like to get a massive quad cramp while, you know, chimney climbing down a, you know, chimney with another 80 feet of down climbing below you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think, I, I think I've got some pretty interesting stories to tell and I'm hoping to get more of those out going forward over the coming months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and so you've been, obviously you've been extremely busy, um, going after all of these FKTs and adventure runs. Um, but in a, a typical year, well, you know, non-corona, <laughs> um, you still race as well. Um, do you get to go out and, and do uh, yeah. So racing, I mean, uh, you know, from, you can see the video behind me of, uh, the bib numbers I have hanging on my wall here in my school office to provoke conversations with students. Um, I forget, I have some 140 bibs hanging up behind me, I think. Um, but, uh, in 2019, I actually sort of made the decision to try to have it be the first year I didn't pay for a race since 2002. Um, and then I did that and then 2020 happened and races disappeared. So it's like, well, guess I'm going to go another year without paying for a race. Um, but yes, normally racing is something I do quite a lot of. In fact, I probably race too much back when I used to race because I'm a person, I like the experience. Like I just want to be out there doing it and 
you know, testing myself. And I'm not so great at being like, oh, I'm just going to train and follow a training cycle. And then I'll do the one perfect cool thing this year. I'm like, no, let's do a hundred cool things this year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people get caught up in that as well. So uh, you're not alone. Um, and so you've done ultras, obviously. Uh, what's the longest you've, well, you've done Ironmans, but what's the longest running race you've done? Uh, I have done, I've gone through the hundred mile mark in a 24 hour run okay. and I've, uh, done a hundred miler. So I've done, done both of those. And then other than that, some hundred Ks, 50 Ks and 50 milers. Which hundred did you do? I did the old Cascadia hundred miler here in Oregon. And it was an absolutely brutal year. Uh, out of 70 competitors, I think only 10 or 11 finished. <laughs> Oh my um, <laughs> <Do> too. <laughs> uh, was so there were various, uh, hornets nests along the course. So you oh were God. getting stung by bees on, on, uh, portions oh. of the course. And then in the night it started sleeting and hailing. Oh my God. Um, so it was an absolutely heinous, brutal first hundred mile race. And I, I'm, I'm really happy to have been, you know, one of the top 10 to make it to the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> one of the only 10. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Oh my gosh, the attrition rate. That's wow. Um, so, um, let's talk a little bit more about the, uh, the adventure running side of this. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily obviously have to be an FKT. So, um, th- let's talk, um, route, you know, let's talk about the, the routes that you, know, you can come up with. Um, obviously there's like we talked about, there's ones that are already established, um, which, you know, uh, you, you've mentioned a few resources that you can go find them on, such as the FKT website, um, uh, all trails, um, you know, uh, trail run project. Uh, there's, are, what's some other ones that you can think of that might have some already established routes? Um, so let's see already established routes other than the ones you've named. Um, yeah, I would say like go-tos would be all trails, uh, summit post looking uh you can even just use the strava segment explore function and look for like segments that are going up to interesting high points because oftentimes people will make segments for their local you know peaks um and then what you can do to turn that into an an adventure run is it's like okay here's two peaks that people clearly like running up or three peaks or four peaks what is an interesting way i can connect them um and so there you have your premise for your adventure, right? It's it, to me, it's always, you're answering a question. Like for me, I look at like a ridgeline and I go do research. Like, has anybody traversed this ridgeline? Has anybody done it fast? Can I find any records of it in, you know, mountain project or summit post or, um, you know, Northwest hikers or whatever the, the host may be Peakbaggers.com is another great one. If you're going after peaks, um, and go, go read those reports and go, okay, so I'm going to try to use these different people's beta or come up with my own. And that's, that's something unique from the rock climbing culture that I think adventure running and, and FKTs brings across to the running culture. That's normally not a part of our culture. And that is this, this culture of projecting, like I'm going to take multiple weekends, you know, in rock climbing, rock climbers will go revisit the same route potentially hundreds of times over the course of years uh, to finally climb the entire route uh, from bottom to top without falling. And that's just normal behavior. Like, oh yeah, I'm still working on that 512, whatever route climb in Smith Rock. 
I've been going back there three times a year for the last six years. You know, that's normal. Like you'll hear people talk like that all the time, but we as runners don't often go, oh yeah, I'm going to go memorize every step of a, of a, you know, running race I'm going to do, unless it's like a really big race. If you're going to go race UTMB, you might go, you know, pre-run a few of the climbs to know what you were going to face, but it's not normal habit, right? So I think in in adventure running, you kind of take this mentality like, okay, I, I'll go out there and do some of my own research. Like I'll try to climb, you know, this mountain peak from this side, or I'll go check if the the roads that connect, um, you know, these forest roads are still, you know, runnable. Um, so you kind of go out there and you like do different pieces of the, the bigger project. Um, and it serves as a great reason to get out and get on your training run for a series of weekends leading up to when you're going to actually do the big connection. Um, so kind of taking that projecting mindset where you, you might answer some of your own questions that you can't find answers to on one of these resources um, that we've named, whether it's the fastest known time website, all trails, peak beggar, Northwest hiker, uh, or if you find uh, other more local resources or Strava, um, you know, talking to some of the local running groups or hiking groups can be great resources. Um, you know, mountaineering groups in your area. Um, oftentimes you'll find some crazy person who's a part of one of those communities that's done some of the things, uh, you want to do in maybe a slightly different style. Um, so those, those are all great ways to learn more. And then I think there's, there's not much that can beat just getting out there and projecting on your own to develop, develop your own map. Um, which kind of brings me full circle to something that you're going to want to do. And that's using GPX files, whether you, you can actually download GPX files that of other people's runs that you find on say Strava or other, you know, similar run hosting, um, apps or websites. And basically what it does is it loads your file, the file of the route as sort of like a breadcrumb trail. We see it as the line we stare at when we look at someone's Strava that, you know, sometimes people draw the funny shapes with on the streets. Um, And you take that and you can load it to most, you know, of the more modern running watches, or at least at the very least to your phone, you can load that GPX file. Um, and you could load it into something like CalTopo, where you can then look at, you know, elevation profiles in the maps um, and, you know, different like water source features in the maps. There's lots of different interesting stuff. Um, I would definitely recommend learning how to use those apps while running in a safe space that you understand, you know, a space where you already know how to orient yourself and then use the use the map function to orient yourself um, if you're not experienced with that. I was just having a conversation with one of my coworkers. He went on a on a hike he'd been on before um, that was just a short like local hike in a town just over the hills from us in in Medford up to what's called Table Rock. And he went up there, but it started snowing as he went up there and he really didn't think anything of it. But by the time he got to the top and like looked at the view and wandered around, his tracks had all been snowed over and it like it, things look very different when conditions change and it was foggy as well. Fog blew in. And so he found himself wandering around on the top of this sort of uh, plateau, this table rock. It's, it's like, it sounds, it looks like a table in the sky. Um, and he kept wandering around cliffing out 
he'd walk to an area where he thought the trail was and it was a cliff and he'd walk to another area and he found after a while, it's like, I'm doing circles. And he'd never played around with using his phone or, or anything else to orient himself. And uh, luckily another person came up in the waning light of the day who was a runner and ran up and was like, oh yeah, it's this way. And so he got back down. Uh, but he and I had a conversation. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, fiddle around with these different, these apps and realize like you're, when you're using a tracking app, oftentimes it will leave a breadcrumb trail, the line you can follow back down. Um, but you want to know how to use that stuff ahead of time. You don't want to just get out there and start messing around on an adventure run and not have the skill set to get yourself back out. Um, you know, a, a lot of people recommend still carrying some kind of old school analog, you know, magnetic compass, because if you know your area and you know your map and you have, or you carry a, a paper map with you, you can, you can at least orient yourself to go, okay, if I continue going this way, so you look, whether you're using the compass on your phone and you orient yourself and then look up and establish a landmark to move toward, or you use the, the, you know, magnetic compass, old school, and you go, okay, if I follow this heading toward, you know, just to the left of a peak I see, or a light I see on the horizon, or, you know, remembering basic common sense, like the sun sets in the west, rises in the east, you know, stuff that used to be so common to our ancestors that sadly, nowadays, because of how we, much we live indoors, and how many screens we have to stare at, we've started to forget culturally. Um, you, you, you orient yourself and then you know you're going to move toward a trail or toward your, your exit point, whatever you've established. And again, that's something you want to look at when you're looking at maps for adventure runs is what forest roads exist or trails exist or water sources exist. And if something went wrong at this point, where what would I be orienting toward? What peaks can I see on the map? What high points? Um, so that way, when I'm out there, I'm I both have sort of a a visual representation of a map in my head and I'm seeing what that map then looks like in the real terrain around me. So when I'm looking around in a 360 degree, you know, view, I can go, okay, there's a road below that peak to the east of it. Um, so if something went wrong there, I could go to that road and that road's going to be 15 miles out to get back to my car. Um, so like knowing things like that saves your life. In that situation and and knowing how to use your tools saves your life in that situation um and you know having a gpx file that you can load into these modern watches gives you a way to really efficiently so if you're trying to move quickly you can have your watch on the navigation screen something i think a lot of runners use very little and a lot of watches now have them you can load a GPX file onto your watch, and then you can look down and see it. Am I on the track still, or am I off it? Um, and I don't think that someone should go out and have that as their only form of navigation. Because for for example, if someone loaded one of my GPX files, I literally will you know run through crevassed terrain and <laughs> you know fifth class exposed rock climbing moves, and I I don't think twice about it because those are well within my skill set. But to a lot of people, that would be well outside of their skill set to be able to handle those types of situations. Um, so you absolutely don't just want to be like, sweet, I've got a file. I'm good to go. Um, because the person before you might be a wild man. Um, 
That's true. And, so, uh, so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, you know, um, just with basic map reading skills, um, a lot of outdoor shops, they will offer um, courses on how to use not only, uh, you know, the paper and compass, but as well as use um, you know, the, the, the uh, apps that we're talking about. Um, so, you know, it's, it's great to be on the local uh, outdoor shops newsletters and, and hear what course offerings they have, because you can pick up these little skills and even some that you may need out there on the trail. Like you come to something that, you know, you're unfamiliar with. Um, it, it, let's just talk about that for a second. You come now you're, you're researching and all of a sudden you're looking through this and you're like, Oh, this has some, some scrambling that I have to, or this has, you know, um, uh, some repelling or uh, a water crossing or something just a skill set they may not be as familiar with. Um, how do they, um, how would you recommend they go about, you know, getting more comfortable with that? Absolutely. Um, I sort of, I think about the way I go about my adventure running as this process of over preparation, not over training. Um, so what I mean by that is any given skill set that I assess through this process we talked about of researching your route ahead of time, um, any skill set I need, I'm going to make sure I can more than perform the ne necessary requirements for it, whether that's an orienteering skill set, a glacier travel skill set, a rock climbing. So, like, if I know I'm going to be pulling five, six rock climbing moves, I'm going to be in the climbing gym and I'm going to be making moves that are four or five grades harder than the moves I'm going to face out there. So, I know that any given move on the route, plus, then I'll also, if it's got, you know, exposed rock climbing, I'll go out and project the actual route too. So I'll have made every single move of that rock climbing route uh, ahead of time. So it's like mapped and memorized in my mind, you know, right foot goes here, left hand goes to the side pole, step up, you know, like I'll have that memorized in my head. Um, but also I'll be pulling harder moves for longer. I'll do longer sessions in the gym on harder routes than what I would be climbing outdoors so that I can have this assurance in my mind that both my fitness and my skill set and my strength can all perform at that level for longer than necessary to complete that aspect uh, of the route. You know, just like just like you know when we're when we're preparing for you know an ultra race or a, or a running race or a five k even, we'll have done things in our training that sort of set our confidence to be like, okay, I know I can handle. X, Y, and Z. I know that I can keep my nutrition straight for a 30 mile run, or I know I can keep, um, I can handle sleep deprivation for people who run 100 milers or 100 plus mile ultras. Um, I know I can go without sleep up until, you know, 25 or 27 hours or whatever. Um, so you do the same thing, but with the individual component skill sets within your experience. So, you know, okay, I know I can perform rope skills in highly exposed terrain. So let's say you're repelling situation. You know, fear of heights is a real thing that we all experience. So, you know, obviously in my own training, I've had to make sure in controlled and safe environments while moving slow and with a partner where I can methodically practice skills that over and over again, even in a state of high fear, I can focus in and perform all of the skills necessary to set up a rappel 
repetitively to go, you know, do multi, multiple repels on much steeper and more difficult terrain than say what I'm going to face in a given adventure run. Um, and that I can consistently do it a uh, hundred times out of a hundred, I can consistently do it. Um, so that way when I'm out there, I know that even if I'm, you know, sleep deprived and I'm hungry cause I, I messed up on my calorie intake. Like I am going to not only know how to, uh, execute the skill and set it up in a way I, that I don't get myself injured or killed, but that I know how to double check myself that I've set it up correctly. Um, and that's that constant process, not just doing the skill, but also knowing how to double check the skill before you rely on it with your life. Did you, uh, did you get to watch the, uh, eco challenge on, uh, Amazon, the one they just released this past year? With uh, uh, Corey Waltering was on there. I think I've seen a trailer of it, but not the whole thing. Um, I keep meaning I keep meaning to pull that up and watch it. It, it was it was really fascinating because we 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 know Corey as a you know as obviously as a runner, um, and he uh, he was on the Coop cast because uh, Jason Coop was uh, was coaching him at the time, and and you know Jason is he's a great coach for for triathletes. Um, but this required so many new disciplines that Corey obviously did not have repelling being one of them, um, you know, boating. I mean, like just all of these things outside of his skill set. And, you know, they talked about how Corey had to train on these different disciplines with, you know, people that, you know, did have the skill sets and, and learn from, you know, friends and, and other coaches how to do these things. But, you know, I, th- I think that's, uh, it's often overlooked by people because they just feel that, you know, um, like you said, they don't think about who did this before them and, you know, what skill sets they have versus what skill sets the actual person doing it has. So um, I certainly appreciate um, we bringing that to the forefront and you expounding on that because I want to make sure people understand they need to be putting safety at the forefront and making sure they have all the skill sets necessary to make sure that they get through this safely um, and uninjured. Absolutely. Um, I mean, on the on the higher budget side, let's say you know you you have an established career, so you're not worried about putting money into your your hobbies, into your pastimes, um, into your passions. Uh, reaching out to local guiding companies, whether it's mountain guiding or rock rock guiding companies, great way to have them take you out. Uh, you can even ask for like a specialized like, hey, these are the skill sets. I want to learn. I don't even necessarily care where you take me out to do it. Just take me someplace cool. Um, and this is what I want to walk away knowing because I want to do a route that uses it. So you could even be that specific, or you could go for one of their general, you know, either single day or multi-day courses. Um, you know, the, a lot of them do intro skills all the way up to high level skills. Um, now the lower budget way, if, if you don't necessarily have money to, to pay a, a, a guide, you could just plug in with local climbing or canyoneering communities on um, Instagram, Facebook, um, any other local, local channels that host uh, you know, groups. You can plug in, you know, search, search through those social medias, search, search the, the, you know, do a Google search um, for an area. And you can just plug in with these communities of people and, you know, find the people who have the voices that most genuinely seem to be wanting to help others and seem to be competent that others in the group seem to, you know, if you're new to the group, seem to hold in in high regard when they have something to say. And, you know, get out 
on you know group experiences with the people who who know what they're doing and and learn from them go out and you know invest time into it that way um if you don't have money to invest into it um so yeah those would be ways to safely have someone who knows what they're doing check your skills um cuz i think i think just watching a youtube video unless unless you are willing to to go really slowly and stay in really safe spaces while you practice the skill sets over and over again um is you know the person who watches a youtube video and then goes th- and throws themselves i mean as a guide i've had to face situations where people think they can watch a youtube video and then go climb you know mount shasta which is a 14000 foot peak with steep snow terrain and they're holding their ice axe completely wrong and they're scared out of their mind and they don't know how to get down and they didn't put their crampons on correctly because they watched the video all of one time. So it's like there's a big difference between watching a skill and being able to perform a skill under pressure. Uh, there's, a, there's a large gap there and you need to make sure you've crossed that gap completely before you go out there, especially if you're going to go out there alone. Um, and really going out there alone is something I disrecommend unless you're, unless you're to the highly expert end of the spectrum, um, way better to do this stuff with a partner. Plus most of the time it's more fun to share an adventure run with someone else because then you walk away with this awesome shared story. Um, cause something wild is bound to happen, even if it's not related to the preparation of your skills, um, uh, or, or the preparation of your route, like. Wild, wild, wild things are going to happen while you're out there and you're going to have stories that last a lifetime because of it. Absolutely. And I, even on just, you know, running routes, um, you know, if, if people get out there and actually see the, the portions of the routes they're going to run, they can be more specific in their training and preparations for, uh, for just a running route. Um, you know, it, it's, I think, uh, sometimes we, uh, we're like, wow, that run looks epic. And then we put ourselves out there and it's a little bit above our, uh, our fitness levels. Um, so, you know, I, I encourage people to, to understand what they're getting into. Um, like you talked about with, the you know, topographic, uh, maps, like making sure that you understand what those little lines mean. And as they get, you know, uh, narrower and narrower, understand that you're getting steeper and steeper. And, uh, you know, you might be, uh, doing some, uh, some scrambling yourself. So seeing it ahead of time, I, I agree, you know, it's, it's something I think would be the, the wise choice so that you train appropriately. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, whether you, if it's, if your project is further away from you, Maybe that involves looking at those uh, topographical lines on your, your your topographical map, and then looking at photos of a peak where you go, oh, that that looks really steep, or that looks not so steep. And then you go look at the photo, and you're like, oh, that's a cliff, or oh, yeah, no, that's runnable. Like I thought, maybe that would be too steep, but it looks like well, w- walkable or hikeable. Um, and then other, t- you know, that can be different for different places. Like some places, a certain you know something that looks a certain steepness on the map might totally be climbable. Um, and then you look you in a different part of the world, that same steepness is just, you know, a series of cliffs stacked on top of one another. So you've got to know your area, whether that's looking at photos or walking out there and looking at the map and looking up at the peak above you and going, Oh, that's what that looks like. Um, and then you sort of build that understanding of how to read those maps more and more as you have more and more experiences of comparing the real world to what you see on the map. 
and I mean, even races, when we read the descriptions, um, <laughs> you know, they, they say uh, some rock scrambling may be required. Um, if it says that in the notes, you may want to just kind of send an email to the RD and ask them just how much scrambling is involved and to what, you know, what extent, because, um, I, you know, I mean, on the East Coast here, um, I was doing a race up in New York and it said some rock climbing, you know, maybe involved some scrambling. And, uh, you know, I just kind of was like, really? Like, and I mean, here I am on a rock face climbing up and I, you know, I had to take a break on a little ledge for a minute. Cause I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I totally didn't expect this to be, uh, to be the case here, but so, yeah, you know, if, if it's in the description, try to, uh, try to assess that a little bit better so that uh, you don't get into a situation where you're, you know, you're above your pay grade. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that is something that I can't emphasize enough. Exposure can change everything for a lot of people. Um, I've spent so much time playing at exposure and practicing and very intentionally practicing my skill set in a way where it's like, okay, if I can make these moves a thousand times out of a thousand on like, you know, low terrain where I'm like five feet off the ground, then like mentally practicing, continuing to effectively make myself do them when I'm thousands of feet off the ground. But even still, my body, my, my, those instincts, those deep instincts that are inside all of us for self-preservation like those things will scream inside your head and it's really hard to focus and it's really easy to lose your composure. Um, even if it's not necessarily that difficult of terrain, but if you're way up off the deck and there's no trees, you're on, you know, a rocky face, a slab you know, of rock, it's like suddenly you can't keep your head screwed on straight. And that is something you absolutely want to have had like safe controlled experience with. Before you just go, oh yeah, like that looks great. I'll go try it. Because um, the last thing you want is the person to be the person calling search and rescue because you're sitting on the ledge and you cannot get yourself out of panic mode. Right. Um, like you, you don't want to do that for yourself. You don't want to do that to search and rescue. It, it will feel really silly after the fact. Um, make sure, make sure you've you've prepared. Like, what does my mind do when I look around me and? All I see are tiny trees, thousands of feet below me. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is anything else we should touch on, on, on that side before we move on to the devices that can keep us safe? I think, I think we covered that pretty well. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's jump into some devices that uh, make a difference out there. Okay, great. Um, so um, Jason was kind enough to kind of send me some things to that we should touch on. And one of the first ones was dual lighting. Um, what did you want to touch on there? Uh, this has actually been a pretty recent game changer for me. I, I've been a weight weenie all through. I mean, like as a triathlete, you're like finding any way. Uh, a buddy in my, of mine and I discovered that we both biked fast enough that we could pull the bottle cages off of our bikes um, and we would make it to the aid stations at just the right amount of time that as long as, and both of us had kind of strong guts where we could just kind of chug, uh, you know, 20, 20 liter or yeah, 20 ounces, excuse me, of uh, like Gatorade and then just keep riding. So we're like, Oh sweet. Like we'll, we'll, we'll ride. We'll do this Ironman triathlon with no bottle cages on our bikes. Um, (laughs) 
112 miles of biking, no bottle cages. Um, <laughs> so like I came from this heritage of like weight weenie, find every way to optimize for weight and for efficiency. And so I used to go out on these adventure runs and it's like, what's the lightest headlamp I can bring with me? Sure. I'm going to get a good amount of lumens, but I want, you know, one single light and I want it to be as light as possible. And recently, uh, I started using a Kogala waste light and absolute game changer. So you, you have this light coming from your waist. That's a flood style light instead of a spot style light that, that most of our headlamps are. And it goes way brighter because you can also have a larger like battery pack system with it. Excuse me. <coughs> and so you get this floodlight coming from waist level. So you get deeper shadows on all of the features of the terrain you're moving on. So with all the off trail bushwhacking type stuff I do, that's a really big deal. That's like hundreds of fewer stumbling steps over the course of, you know, say 20 miles of this type of terrain, or even you think if you're on techie, techie trails, you know, a uh, hundred fewer stumbles, a uh, hundred fewer times where you lose pace and have to reaccelerate. Like that's a big difference in efficiency and overall pace. And, and, you know, if you actually don't just stumble, you actually wipe out, like that's a difference yeah. in how happy you are uh, <laughs> for a number of miles too. Really? Then the, the other crazy thing that's happened is I realized with that gr like bigger spectrum of light and a wider field of light, rather than just the narrow beam from the headlamp, I find personally, I don't get drowsy as early when pushing into overnight efforts. You know, sort of like staring at a TV screen when you should be going to bed and you can kind of just keep not being tired until, you know, exhaustion overtakes you when it's the wee hours of the morning. Um, kind of a similar thing where, you know, normally you start to get a little bit drowsy after darkness sets in with just your headlamp. I find with the dual light system and that much light, like it's kind of like looking at the TV and it's like, oh, I'm not really tired yet. Yeah. Um, which huge difference in how much ground you're going to cover if you're feeling awake and you're able to see better. Um, so like more than makes up for the weight. Plus oftentimes if we're carrying these extra devices with us, for uh an adventure run you know you've got your cell phone you've got you know your watch maybe you're going to go ahead and need to recharge those things if it's a long enough run the battery pack from the kogala can be used to charge other devices too it's just like any you know battery pack recharging pack you'd buy from the store um so you can use it to charge multiple things and so it's not necessarily as much of a loss in weight either if you are already carrying a recharge pack for those other things because now you've just consolidated that into my lighting system plus charging pack. Um, so definitely a super useful tool if you're going to get out there in the backcountry. Plus, then if you know one of your lights fails, so you've got your headlamp, you've got your um, waste light. If one or the other fails, it's no big deal. Um, and then obviously, if you have your phone with you, you've kind of got this you know bare minimum. I can at least walk slowly by the light of my um, cell phone to try to get out of here. You know, that's horrible last resort. But, you know, if you've already got a duplicate in place, the likelihood that both lights would fail and then you'd be relying on the cell phone is super low. <laughs> I, I had a friend that we were in a race and uh, I came up on him and he was using his watch, <laughs> the Indiglo on his watch. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's... 
I was like, here's my extra headlamp right here. Take it. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, no, okay, you're man. not good. Take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to shove it in his pack. He wouldn't take it. But anyhow, um, I agree. Yes. Having the, uh, the waste light is, uh, is a game changer. Um, you know, and, and the Kogala system is, is great. I'm actually an affiliate for, uh, for Kogala. So in the show notes, there's a, a link there. If anybody wants to look into it, I think they get 15% off if they use the link, but yes, uh, Kogala is a great product. Um, great product. Great, great team. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on their team now. Uh, after they found out I was using it for these adventure runs, they're like, that's kind of a no brainer. <laughs> Um, so yeah, super cool product. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your next bullet point was, um, double navigation. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously in a way this is tripled navigation because we already talked about like mentally knowing your route well enough that even if all systems failed, you could like go, okay, that is East. That is, that is, you know, such and such peak. And that is such and such peak. And if I go between them, there is a road that leads me out to safety. Like, right. so you already have that mental map, right? If you're truly preparing for these things properly, you've got a, a mental map already stored away. Yep. Um, but on top of that, if you're moving for efficiency, which if you're an adventure runner, you probably are. And if you're chasing an FKT, you absolutely are. Then I would say having a watch that does a loaded GPX track uh, or even has a, a a simulated map function in it. Um, absolutely. If you want to be maximally efficient, it allows you to reference whether you're staying on track and staying on bearing instantaneously. Like at any moment you can check that you're still moving the right way and double check that up against the landmarks around you. Um, and in some routes, like if you're doing rim to rim to rim alt in the grand Canyon, there are so many places where, it looks like you should keep going one way, but actually you're breaking up the hillside because the trail is up above you. And it's really easy to get sucked down the wrong part of the canyon um, and end up having to backtrack because you cliff out. Um, so having your map in watch form where you can be referencing it at any given second to double check yourself can save you a lot of steps, distance, and time. Um, but then also having that on a phone or other GPS device, um, whether that's tied in with your you know, emergency tracker, which you can get things that are both navigation GPSs and GPS communicators, um, or just tied in with your phone um, where you have it loaded on CalTopo or Gaia GPS or uh, All Trails or some other um, app like that that allows you to load in a route ahead of time. Um, always having those duplicates. And then obviously we mentioned, you know, if you don't have your, that mental map memorized of the terrain around you, having a paper map and a, a compass could be a way to further, you know, have triplicate of being able to get yourself out of there. And I think if you're going to go deep backcountry with a route um, where there's not many efficient and effective bailouts, then that's a, that's something you want to consider um having unless you've just memorized the area um but yeah at least doubled navigation where it's like oops i fell and smashed my watch against a rock um oh i've got it on my phone yeah. you know or oh my phone died well i've got it on my watch um so so definitely at least having doubled 
um, for most routes is definitely my, and that saved me a few times having, having two forms um, of navigation. And I've also been saved by just knowing, knowing my terrain really, really well. I had a situation where my watch went to a blue triangle of death where it wouldn't do anything except show the uh, you know blue triangle. And uh, my phone was borderline dead. So I had to keep powering it down and powering it up. And luckily I, I knew the area and I knew uh, the route well enough and the landmarks well enough that I could just kind of go, okay, look at my phone for a few seconds. This is where I am. That means I'm going to, you know, go to that point. I'm going to, you know, bear to the right. And then if I continue straight down that gully, I'll meet up with a trail and I'll have my way out. Like that's saved me before in some pretty deep backcountry terrain, pretty rough terrain. Um, just being able to, to have that, that confidence to know I just need to keep moving efficiently and I'll get out of here. Um, so yeah, definitely at least doubled, double up on your navigation sources. I, you had already started to mention the the satellite devices um, that can be used uh, not only for mapping, but can also be used for SOS or communication. Um, why don't we touch on those next? Absolutely. I mean, as a running community and like a light and fast mountaineering community, we obviously have kind of been obsessing over the small lightweight stuff like the Garmin Mini and um the spot trackers and now there's zolo or zolio and i think it's somewhere um is another one um and some of these like pair up with your phone so you could like text over satellite um through the through the device uh to communicate back and forth and then also if your phone dies they still can send out like an uh sos beacon to search and rescue or a check in directly just to your family and friends that you've pre-programmed into their website interface, which is, that's the other big thing is whether you're using the Garmin mini or uh, any of the spot products or Zolio or, or somewhere you have to preset it up. You have to have uh, a plan for uh, a paid plan. Usually they're monthly or yearly memberships. And then you have to go in and preset like, all right, these are the automatic messages I want sent if I push the button number one for a check-in or button number two for something's wrong. And then obviously button number three, it's gonna, you're gonna set it up. It's gonna automatically connect you. If you push, excuse me, if you push the SOS button, it's automatically gonna be going out to search and rescue and emergency services. But also you can program that button, like also send a, an email to this person or a text message to this person where they know something has gone seriously wrong. Um, and they know they're going to need to find out like what hospital I'm in or where I'm being delivered by search and rescue. Um, but that all needs to be preset up before you ever go out the first time. Um, and I often like to test, not the SOS function, never want to test that one. Um, <laughs> and I think actually some of them do have a way you can like, while you're on the website, go in and like do a test of the button by it like will temporarily power down it actually going to search and rescue and you can make sure the button actually works. Um, but other than that, you don't want to test the button because you're actually going to cost yourself some money by, you know, triggering, yeah. you know, search and <laughs> rescue. Um, and they have insurance you can pay for through them as well to cover the costs if you ever have to be rescued. So and sometimes there's volunteer search and rescue in areas. So 
like don't not push the button <laughs> if you're worried about like money like if you need to be saved you need to be saved um but yeah there's a variety of them all of them need pre-set up in some way um you want to make sure that you've set it up correctly where you know test it out with your friends like okay these are the free three friends who know i'm going out on adventure also by the way still send your friends like this is my timeline i should be on this peak roughly between these hours and this peak roughly between these hours and this peak roughly between these hours. And if you don't hear from me by, and you know, give yourself a cushion because you're not necessarily going to give up on your adventure. If you're 15 minutes off pace, um, give yourself a cushion. But like, if you don't hear from me by this time, um, you, you, you activate search because there's always the, the possibility you get knocked unconscious. Right. And then if your friends can activate search and rescue, um, they can still use your tracking device to find where you are and, and come out and find you, even if you're still incapacitated and potentially be saved that way. But yeah, if you're, you always want to have like a backup because there's always the possibility you lose consciousness for one reason or another. Um, so just having an SOS device and being out there by yourself and no one knows where you are is still a really bad situation. Um, you know, don't don't recreate the 127 hours story. Um, yeah. You know, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's the guy that got the boulder that pinned his arm in a slot canyon, and he hadn't told any of his friends where he was and had no cell reception or or tracker device. Interesting movie to watch. It gets gory though, so trigger it's warning. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you definitely want to have if you're going to do deep backcountry, especially. Um, having a satellite based communication is absolutely huge. Um, the first place this started to become super important was when my girlfriend and I started to do some stuff, some efforts in death Valley and there's almost no cell reception, um, in a lot of, uh, death Valley. And so that was one of the first places where we not only wanted one way communication that a lot of devices offer, but two way communication so that you could communicate back and forth to um, check in and, and uh, assess progress in that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another question you can sort of assess for yourself. Do I just need a one-way tracker where I can hit a button and it communicates out to people? Um, or do I want to also be able to receive communications um, from family or friends while I'm out of cell reception? Um, and that's, that's totally dependent on what you think your needs are and the situation you're going to be in. A lot of times the answer is no, you don't really need that. You just need a, a check-in button and a SOS button. And how about, um, on the front of, um, uh, cellular triangulation? Um, I've heard mixed reviews on how effective that can be. Have you heard anything on, on that efficacy? Um, I mean, to this day, the general consensus, what you hear people saying is like, don't just rely on cell phone. Um, I mean, is it going to help search and rescue, like not have to search like a, a as large of a swath of land? Yeah. I mean, it's going to narrow, it's going to narrow it down significantly, but it's nowhere near as accurate of a point as uh, the satellite um tracking will be um i mean oftentimes those things just like our our watches will you know when we're tracking a run will be accurate within 
you know, a few feet oftentimes, sometimes even, even within a foot of where we actually were. Um, I mean, that's, if, if you're out there and your leg is broken or you're, you know, in, in a bad way, that's the level of accuracy you want. Not, well, we've got it pinned down to somewhere within this 12 mile circle. <laughs> right. You don't right. want search and rescue combing a 12 mile space if, if your leg is broken. <laughs> sure. right. Um, so yeah, probably worth it if you're going to be, um, deep back country and sure. in places and on terrain where you could get hurt. Yep. Awesome. Anything else we should touch on there for the, uh, satellite devices? Um, I mean, I kind of mentioned the infatuation with the smaller, lighter devices, but also a lot of the bigger, uh, devices that do full on, like you can load every bell and whistle of a map into them and it displays a color display. Um, you know, it's full size resolution. A lot of those GPSs also now are communicators, whether they do one way or two way communication and SOS function. So if you're not as much of a weight weenie, that can be an amazing uh, tool to, to solve all of those problems for, for navigation and for um, communication in, in deep pack country situations. So that's worth mentioning, like maybe get out of, you know, you're like, oh, I have to shave every ounce um, kind of mindset and go, you know, maybe it's okay. Like, cause I like to do hiking too, instead of just running. Um, maybe it's worth it to go with one of those devices. Um, and sometimes they're even similarly like priced, even though they have way more functionality, just because, uh, you know, weight and size adds cost to, you know, it, it increases the expense of a product to try to fit power into a smaller size. Um, so sometimes you can get way more performance for a similar price if you're just willing to go a little bigger and heavier. Cool. All right. And our, our last bullet point, unless you can think of something else would be the, uh, water filtration systems. Um, yeah, I mean the, the obvious thing, and if you've spent any time running around in the backcountry, you have at least one friend who talks about how awesome the Catadyne B free, uh, flasks are they're super efficient you just open it up dip it in the stream or creek or pond or whatever and close it up and then as you squeeze it it feeds it through the filter um so oftentimes with normal pumping systems that say backpackers use you're going to stop for a couple minutes a few minutes to refill your your bottles and you know whether you're doing a bladder or flasks or bottles and you're going to like pump and fill each of them and then put the system away and put the bottles or the bladder away with the be free flask. It's like, you're going to stop for 10 seconds. Um, so if, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to move super efficiently and there's going to be like multiple water stops, Creek crossings, lake crossings, um, like that can be a great way to go to be super efficient out there. Um, but then a lot of this, you know, looking into the backpacking world, um, is a great place to find a lot of really good filtering products. And there's always the option of iodine tabs as well. Um, though you have to remember that oftentimes those recommend at least 30 minutes of sitting in the water before you drink it. Um, so if you know, you're, you don't want to set yourself up to like be, have gone two hours, three hours in warm weather without water. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to put an iodine tab in this water and like, 
all right, just going to go without water another 30 minutes. I have self-restraint. Um, yeah, I definitely want to think that through if you're going to rely on the, the iodine tabs. Um, but I definitely recommend the, the bee free flask for, you know, getting out there if you're going to be running between fairly frequent water stops and you can also use it, uh, for longer carries, um, carry as in you're going to have to carry more, you know, water for a longer distance. If you just use, you scoop it with the flask and then you squeeze it, it's a pretty efficient, uh, flow rate. So you could squeeze and fill, you know, a, a two liter, you know, bladder and then, you know, dip it in, you know, again and have it full. And I think they come in both a 600 milliliter and a one liter, uh, size. So it's a pretty efficient way. Um, I've used them for a lot of big, you know, uh, routes with long carries between water and it's still an efficient system. Um, and you can just have it there in the front of your pack. Yep. Uh, and I think Solomon now has their own as well. Uh, they have the nozzle you can screw onto the, uh, um, like the hydro flask bottles and stuff. So, um, Solomon's come out with their own version of it. Um, I think the only thing we also should say is that if you have, uh, electrolytes or something, um, you need to have, uh, your separate nozzle <laughs> on that bottle. So you can pour it into a bottle that has electrolytes in it. Um, but put your regular nozzle on that. It, it won't work with the, uh, the filtration system. <laughs> Don't run your, sports nutrition through the filter not gonna work <laughs> yeah that's the message i was trying to convey thank you <laughs> that's putting it succinctly awesome um anything else you got for us jason any any last words of wisdom imparting knowledge you want to give to us yeah i mean i guess remember to have fun with this whole process like it's all it's all play you're you're experimenting like i said have sort of set that big question out in front of you with what your adventure is and what you're trying to, you know, answer for yourself. And, and remember to be playful with it. You're a kid on a playground. I, I have the privilege of getting to teach little kids that constantly remind me how to be in that mindset of like, I'm just here to goof off and play and have fun. And yeah, I'm doing it in very serious, very big, very high consequence situations and terrain. But the motivation is still the same. Like I want to go out and play and I'm curious and I want to discover and explore. And so like throughout the process, remember it's something you want to do and something you're playing with. And if something stops being fun, it's okay to change directions and, and do something else. Like don't, don't force yourself into a box that like, I, I have to finish this cause I started it. Um, cause that's not the point of an adventure run. That's not the point of an adventure. Um, like, you're out there to play, to explore, and to be curious. Perfect. That's beautiful. That's you know the message that I try to convey all the time to my runners. So I appreciate you reinforcing that. Um, Jason, if people have questions or want to reach out to you or follow you, what's the best way they can do so? We mentioned the website that I'm going to be putting longer form uh, blogs on, uh, jasonhardrath.com. I'm Jason Hardrath on Instagram. And on Facebook as well, I usually am pretty easy to find on both of those platforms. If you reach out through the messages on either of those, I tend to get back pretty quickly uh, within a day. Um, and yeah, willing to answer any of the questions about the 94 uh, FKT adventures I've been on or any other curiosities you have about products I use or things that are more efficient in different types of terrain. 
I, I, I genuinely love this stuff. I love playing at it. So I love having conversations about it too. Obviously. Thank you so much, Jason, for your time and for sharing all that with us. This has been awesome. It's been a lot of fun to talk this stuff through. Thanks for having me on. Thank you once again, Jason, for, for coming on the podcast. Um, that was really a wealth of, of knowledge that we uh, we crammed into the episode there. So I certainly appreciate that, and uh, I wish you well on your uh, future endeavors. Um, Jason and I had a conversation after we recorded that episode, and uh, he talks about what he is planning to do for his 100th, and, and man, it, it is something I, you know, I, I don't want to announce it um, you know, without him um, going public with it. Um, I'm sure since we talked about it, it's okay, but even so, uh, I'll leave that for him to do. But needless to say, his, uh, his 100th attempt at an FKT is, um, on the scale of, uh, of amazing. <laughs> it's a whopper. So really cool. Uh, and I wish him the best in it. So thank you again, sir. Um, and, uh, you know, things around here are, uh, are moving along. Um, this weekend, um, I am doing a 50 miler, um, just one that I am, uh, uh, created to simulate, um, the Umstead 100 course. Um, Umstead 100 is a 12 and a half mile, pretty much like a lollipop loop. Um, but the, uh, I did the, an out and back course here in, in Western North Carolina that would simulate the surface and, uh, elevation gain that I would see on a loop out at Umstead. So I am doing four loops, um, of 12 and a half miles this weekend. Uh, and I'm trying to sustain my uh, hundred mile pace just to see how it goes, practice with my gear, uh, nutrition, all of that stuff, kind of like a, uh, you know, a dry run, if you will, for, for Umstead 100, which is, uh, coming up the end of March. So, um... I've got some friends that are coming out um, to uh, to you know to run with me and stuff. Should be pretty fun. Um, looking forward to the challenge, um, the daddy daughter dance that I was supposed to do with my daughter uh, got postponed. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to get it done early and then go do the daddy daughter dash with my my daughter. So uh, wish me luck on that. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, but you know it, it should be fun, um, no matter what. So, uh, yep, that's, that's what's going on here. Um, you know, training's going well. Um, really excited, uh, to, uh, to go back to Umstead as I kind of talked about in the last episode, um, in the, uh, in the closing comments, uh, you know, about, you know, what, what Umstead means to me and, uh, you know, how it's, uh, you know, it was kind of my introduction to ultra marathoning. So, uh, kind of coming, uh, full circle with it. So I'm excited for that opportunity. Um, other than that, uh, man, you know, uh, just busy, uh, coaching has, has really, really exploded. Um, you know, as I, as I keep saying, um, it's, uh, it's great. I certainly appreciate the, uh, everybody coming to me. Um, I want to, uh, I should say, I want to say thank you too, to, uh, to everybody that voted for me in the, uh, Blue Ridge Outdoor, um, competition for best of, uh, 2020. Um, I placed third in uh, the coaching category, and that was all coaches. So, um, you know, cycling, triathlete, running, uh, you know, any type of coach, uh, they're all in there. So to place third place, uh, you know, I was really, really pleased and, and grateful. Uh, it's an honor. So thank you all for, for that vote. Um, if you voted, and uh, I really, you know, can't thank you guys enough for that. That was pretty cool. Um, 
I've been working on uh, another certification as well for coaching. Um, actually, I've been working on two. <laughs> as I, I probably mentioned in the past, uh, I'm working on uh, a um, uh, ultra running certification. Um, Jason Coop came up with a um, a certification with the uh, the folks at UESCA. Uh, so I've been working through that. I am over halfway, uh, almost three quarters of the way through it, and then I have to take my test. And I am also working on a uh, level three certification for the Arthur Lydiard Foundation, which I really enjoy and have absorbed a lot of their training methodologies and actually applied them to myself. Um, you know, if, you, if you're following me on Strava, um, I've really been working on trying to keep my easy run super easy and building that like huge aerobic base, which uh, Arthur Lydiard was such a, um, a, a you know a, a promoter of. And so, you know, as I can say, I was, I was on the treadmill this morning, uh, just doing a recovery run. Um, I did just under 20 miles for my long run yesterday, but, um, you know, I, I was, uh, just on the treadmill and, and running and, uh, I was doing about 827 pace and I was, uh, uh, just over a hundred beats per minute. I think my average was 101, uh, which is zone one for me. So, uh, running 827 in zone one. Um, you know, it's, it's pointing to, you know, things are coming around really well. You know, I've got, my, my aerobic base is, is really strong. So, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, really supports me in this hundred miler coming up. Um, if you have questions, you know, about coaching, about running, you know, don't hesitate to ask, uh, jump on Strava, follow me, ask questions. If you see things, you know, like how did I go about doing all this? Uh, it, it really, you know, it, it really came from this Arthur Lear training that I've gone through. Um, you know, I did levels one and two. And now I'm working on three, which goes like really deep dive into everything that's going on when you're in, you know, the aerobic base training, when you're in the hill training phase, which, you know, again, I did, uh, if you remember seeing in Strava, if you follow me again, it's, uh, I was doing a lot of plyometric drills and such like that to build up my musculoskeletal system after I got through my base period. Um, just super cool stuff. You know, um, a lot of people use his principles this day and age. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's kind of one of those coaches that everybody kind of looked up to and, and uses his methodologies, you know, not to the full extent, but, um, you know, he's, he definitely made a dent in, in coaching. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really enjoying learning more and, and, uh, and getting a, a deeper dive into, um, the certification and coaching. So, um, so yeah, staying busy, obviously <laughs> with all that, you know, recording the podcast here. Um, I do owe a few YouTube videos, which, um, I, I will certainly get out. Um, I keep saying that, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely <laughs> my intention to get those done. Um, came up with a few new, um, uh, you know, hip and, uh, leg strengthening, uh, routines and core routines. Uh, so I'm gonna try to post those. Um, I've had some questions about like uphill running, downhill running, pole usage. So, um, those are going to take me a little bit more time. Um, I just don't want to slap something together. I really want to feel comfortable with, with putting out something, uh, that, you know, is useful, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to take me a little bit while, a while longer to generate the content for those things. I certainly do appreciate the, uh, the recommendations, um, you know, for videos, for, uh, podcast episodes. So if you do have something that you would like to hear about or see, um, uh, that, you know, that I can, I can create content for, uh, by all means, you know, send me a note. My, uh, my email is runningpains at gmail.com. And, um, 
you know, I'm always up for that conversation. Um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm here to help. That's, you know, what the podcast is about is, uh, uh, just kind of giving some useful content that people can learn from and hopefully take things away from. Um, so same with the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, and other avenues, you know, you can reach out through Facebook. I have the MR Running Pains Coaching um, um, Facebook page, um, MR Running Pains on Instagram. And uh, I'm actually Aaron Saft. Um, I need to kind of uh, <laughs> create a little bit more consistency through uh, <laughs> through my channels, but I'm Aaron Saft on YouTube. Um, but um, And I'm also Aaron Saft or MR Running Pains uh, on uh, Strava. But, um, you know, thank you guys. Um, thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, as, as everybody says on a podcast, if you, uh, if you share these episodes, um, like, and subscribe, leave a review. That's very super helpful, uh, for other people to find it, um, and, and kind of spread the, uh, the content. And, um, you know, it's been a great joy growing with this. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, sincerely appreciate those that have uh have come on to uh um to patreon uh nate heatslip i i you know i don't think i mentioned nate uh yet but i i thank you nate for for coming on nate's been a long time listener um and very supportive um his he and his wife were both on the show uh um, they uh they talked about uh jen's uh um, Jen's running and how they do it, um, as a couple, cause Nate is, Nate is an endurance athlete as well. So, um, thank you guys for that support. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really, it's great that, you know, um, I can, I can do this and, uh, and not have to <laughs> lose money in the process. So thank you guys for that support. It really does make me, uh, uh, be able to do this. So, um, and you know, not that anybody has to, to jump on, but if you can, uh, even a dollar a month, it, it's super helpful. You know, I, I had a, a comment that, uh, you know, I, I feel bad that I can only do a dollar a month. That's, you know, that's definitely goes into helping this sustain itself. So, um, sincerely appreciate that. And, uh, you know, um, I can't wait till, uh, Till next time, episode fifty-four. Uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll be back in your ears next week. So, thank you again, guys. Um, I yeah, can't thank you enough. And we'll talk to you next time.